Today we continue our, our study in the, the Gospel of Luke. Today we're in Luke chapter 5, and we've been going through this Gospel uh, verse by verse. Last week we, we started chapter 5 and we saw one of Jesus' great calls to His disciples, don't be afraid, trust me, don't trust yourself, forsake yourself and follow me. And Luke wrote his gospel so that Theophilus might have certainty concerning the things that he had been taught about Jesus. We see that in, in Luke chapter 1. And Luke wanted Theophilus, and of course all of us here today, to know for sure that Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior, the very Son of God who would come to seek and to save the lost. And Luke recorded 21 miracles by Jesus in this gospel. And today we will examine the miracle of Jesus healing a leper. We will examine what the, the Bible says about leprosy and sin, and we will see the connection between the coronavirus and leprosy. So let's read about Jesus' cleansing of a leper in Luke chapter 5. If you would follow with me, I'll be reading from verse 12 to verse 16. So while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now, even more, the reports about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he withdrew to desolate places and pray. I wonder if you've tried going to the Carrefour supermarket recently. You have probably been told to wear a, a mask so you can do your, your grocery shopping without spreading your, your germs to others. Here's one of the masks that, that we got. But we still, there's still some confusion as to when and where we must wear these masks, isn't it? But what is a little more easier to understand is the information we have been given about washing our hands in order to avoid getting sick and spreading the germs. And when we wash our hands with soap and water, the soap prevents the coronavirus from sticking to our hands and prevents self-infection and transmission. And of course, using soap to wash hands is more effective than just using water alone because the compounds in the soap uh, lift the soil and the microbes from the skin and, and people tend to scrub hands more thoroughly when using soap than when they would just use water. But just over 150 years ago, medical doctors did not know that infection is spread by dirty hands. Some of the finest hospitals were focusing on, sorry, some of the finest hospitals were, were losing one out of six women after childbirth to what they called childbed fever. A doctor's daily routine would begin in the dissecting room where he performed autopsies. And from there, he made his way to the hospital to examine expectant mothers without ever washing his hands. 
a Hungarian doctor by the name of Ignaz Semmelweis, who died in 1865, was the first man in history to associate washing hands with the, with the resulting infection and death. He washed his hands with a chlorine solution before examining expectant mothers, and after 11 years of practice, his death rate was only 1 in 50. But in spite of his success, he spent his life arguing in vain with his colleagues. Although he lectured wildly, uh, uh, widely, <laughs> virtually no one believed him. And doctors and midwives had been delivering babies for centuries without washing their hands, and no, and no outspoken doctor was going to change that now. And Semmelweis, he died insane at age 47 with his colleagues still laughing in his face. And that seems incredible to us to think that in hindsight, doesn't it? But I think if we look at it from a, spirit, a spiritual point of view, there is definitely a parallel here. You know, the truth is there are millions and millions of sinners who are lost and, and blinded by their sin and oblivious to their, their need for spiritual cleansing and even laugh when they're told that they need to be saved from their sins. And they don't understand the seriousness, the seriousness of sin, and they think that they are basically good people, and that when they die, God will let them into heaven because they've never murdered anyone, or they've never robbed a bank, or they've never kidnapped anybody. But the doctors who denied the connection between their unwashed hands and infection of their patients they really needed a microscope to, to see the bacteria that caused the infection. And a sinner who does not see his need for cleansing, he needs that microscope. He needs that conviction of the Holy Spirit through God's Word to open his eyes. And their dirty hearts before the, the Holy God, only they, once they do this, will they be able to see their great need. And the sinner can then come to Jesus who alone can deal with that need. Our text this morning shows us a leper who came to Jesus for cleansing. So in the Bible, leprosy is a dreaded disease that is a picture of sin. And this is alluded to in our text by the fact that the leper does not ask for, for healing, but for cleansing, which Jesus gives him. And the words clean and cleansed and cleansing occur, occur three times in our passage to emphasize this analogy. You know, in the Old Testament, leprosy caused a person to be ceremonially defiled so, so that if he was healed, he still had to go to the priest and carry out an extensive ritual of, of cleansing before he could be accepted back into the community, especially the religious community and worship. So my first point this morning is found in verse 12, and that is the disease. Look at verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So while Jesus was in a certain Galilean city, he came upon a leper. And we know Luke was a doctor. And he tells us that this was no ordinary leper, but rather a man full of leprosy, it says in there in verse 12. In the Bible, leprosy can refer to a number of skin diseases, but in its worst form is what, we have, is what we have here and is what is known as Hansen's disease. And this leper had Hansen's disease. I believe that Luke is telling us that this was an extreme case of leprosy. This was not a man with just a minor skin affliction. 
Luke, the doctor, is saying that this was a severe case, the worst form of leprosy. While Kerry and I ministered in, in India, we had the opportunity to visit many uh, leprosy missions. And leprosy is still a big problem in India. And we learned a lot from the doctors there about this disease. And the doctors told us that leprosy is basically a skin disease that attacks the, the nervous system. At first, it was thought to be a disease that just was on the surface of the skin, that just ate a person's flesh, because people with leprosy didn't have, they didn't have noses, and they, and they didn't have ears, and, and they didn't have eyes, and they had great holes in their heads with um, their extremities gone, and the assumption was that it, it was a disease that literally ate your, your flesh. Well, there was a doctor by the name of Dr. Paul Brand, who lived and ministered in India for many years amongst lepers. And he was the first doctor to realize that leprosy is not a disease just of the tissue, but of the nerves as well. In other words, leprosy destroys a person's ability to feel. It can also attack the teeth. It can attack every part of your body so that there is no feeling in these areas of the body because it's all connected to your nervous system. And what happens as a result of this is very, very frightening. Now, Dr. Brand said in his, in his book that in the villages of Africa and Asia, a person with leprosy has been known to reach directly into a charcoal fire to retrieve a, a dropped potato. So nothing in his body told him not to do this. And he goes on to say that patients in his hospital used to work all day gripping a, a shovel uh, with a protruding nail and never feel the, the nail tearing their, their flesh. Well, they would extinguish a, a burning wick with their, their bare hands. And they did this all the time because they, they couldn't feel anything. They didn't know any different or any better. And the patients would walk on splintered glass or, or anything and everything else because they, they could not feel anything. And besides the physical disorders lepers have to face, there was and there still is today the social stigma that is connected with a leper. Josephus, who was the Jewish historian, said that lepers were treated as, as dead men. And the Jewish rabbi said that next to touching a, a dead body, getting near a leper was the most revolting form of defilement. In the Old Testament, leprosy made a person ceremonially unclean, and it made them defiled. So that if, if they were healed, they still had to go to the priest and carry out this extensive ritual before they could be accepted back into the community. We see in Numbers 5 and Leviticus chapter 13, as well as chapter 14, we are told that lepers had to be put out of the community and that the person was, was cut off from society, including his family. He had to wear torn clothing so that people could recognize him as a, as a leper. He had to have his head covered um, and he had to cover his lips, and he had to shout, unclean, unclean, just so that he wouldn't get into any contact with anybody. Wherever he went, he had to warn others of his condition so that they would keep their distance from him. The lepers could not obviously support themselves by, by working, and the only option they had was to beg. And we see in the Scriptures often lepers outside the, the temple asking for, for money. They could not come into the, the city walls. They could not come into the temple. They could have no 
contact with God's people. And of course, that excluded them from worshiping the true and living God. And I think we can relate a little bit to that in our circumstance, can't we, with this social isolation, social distancing. And we're told that this was a terrible, a terrible disease. This disease is grievous, not just physically, but emotionally and, and spiritually, because how it separated people from each other, and especially from the worship of God. So that's the context here. That's the context we have here. But even in the midst of this severe disease, the attention that Luke draws us to is how Jesus is able to forgive sins and to cleanse us and to cleanse the leper in this passage. Which leads to my second point, which we see in the second half of verse 12, the desperation. We see there, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus. So Matthew's gospel tells us that the leper was looking for Jesus. So it was not just a matter of chance. He deliberately, intentionally tried to find Jesus. Now, of course, this was a, a serious breach of appropriate behavior for him because he was supposed to be outside of the, the city walls. He wasn't supposed to be with the, with the community. But there he was. There he was looking for Jesus. He was, he was desperate. He was desperate. And that's the main point I want to make here. He came with desperation. I mean, what could he lose? He, he could be stoned, but I think that would have been a relief for him. Um, he did what was shameless. He did what was fearless. He did what was dangerous. He did what was bold. But after all, he was desperate. He was full of leprosy. He was past his fear. He was past his shame. He was past his embarrassment. He was past his reservations. And this man came to Jesus. He was desperate. Notice the rest there of verse 12. And when he saw Jesus... He fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Notice that he was also reverent. It says, he saw Jesus and fell on his face. In Matthew 8 verse 2, it says that he was worshiping. And the body language here is actually the language of worship. And the word that Matthew uses is the Greek word for worship used in the, the whole New Testament to refer to the worship of God. But notice he does also call Jesus Lord. Very important. He came with, with reverence. He fell on his face. He knew that he was unclean. He knew that he was filthy. He knew that he was, was wretched. He knew that he was undeserving. He was miserable. He was, he was ugly. He was disfigured and, and deformed. And he fell on his face prostrating himself before the Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is the only one that could help him, worshiping Jesus as you would a king or a god. But then look at the sequence here as it unfolds. So falling on his face, the scripture says, he begged Jesus. So this man is really pleading here for his life. He has endured this shame He's endured this alienation. He's endured this isolation. 
He's endured this, this suffering for, for so long to the maximum point that he possibly can. For who knows? We don't know how many years. The scripture doesn't tell us. And he's got nowhere else to turn. He's crying out. He's, he's pleading here. He, he's begging. And then he says, Lord, if you are willing. I think that's a perfect example of humility right there. But he was not in a position to demand anything. There wasn't his hard attitude here at all. It was a very humble disposition. He was aware of his, his wretchedness, perhaps even of his, of his own sin. He may, he may very well have attached his, his wretchedness to his, his sin. And he doesn't come with any, any rights, demanding any rights at all. He didn't claim anything. And there's no presumption at all here in this man. This man has an attitude of humility. He's, he's hungry and, and he's thirsty for something that, that he doesn't have. And he's meek and he's broken and he's, he's poor in spirit. He understands his, his bankruptcy. He knows Jesus doesn't have to heal him if he doesn't want to. He doesn't have any rights here, any authority here. And he has profound needs and this is real. This is a wonderful example of, of humility, how we should come to the Lord. But notice lastly, he comes also with, with faith. It's very clear that this man knows that Jesus can heal him. But isn't it fascinating how the leper asked Jesus to do this? Look at what the leper says there in verse 12. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The leper knows that he needs Jesus. He knows that only Jesus can heal him. But he doesn't even directly ask Jesus to do this. He simply says this, Lord, I know this. I know this as a fact. This is absolutely certain to me. If you want to make me clean, you can make me clean. He doesn't walk up to Jesus and say, Jesus, make me clean. Please, you would make me clean. He says, Jesus, I know that if you want to, you can make me clean. It's, it's extraordinary. This man has, has a faith, a very deep, certain faith. And again, this is a, a graphic illustration of how a sinner needs to come to Christ. He needs to come desperate. He needs to come at the end of his, of his rope. And all shame needs to be gone. And all fear needs to be gone. And there is this desperate Boldness, isn't there? Nowhere else to turn. No hope in anything else or anybody else. And the worst that can happen is maybe, is maybe welcomed. If you, if you don't heal me, Lord, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And that would be so much better than the circumstance I find myself right now. This is the sinner's desperation. This, this should be the sinner's desperation. The sinner needs to come with faith. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. This is what it means to be meek. This is what it means to be hungry and thirsty after righteousness. It's a wonderful example of a penitent sinner. And my third point this morning, we see in verse 13 and 14, the deliverance. You know, really, the whole passage drives home one point, and that one point is this, that Jesus can do what no priest can do. Look at verse 13. It says, 
And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Notice here that Jesus touches the leper, which again was not normal. The text suggests that Jesus even touched him before he pronounced him clean. So he was still with leprosy at this point. And what happens? He lays hold of the man and Jesus does, Jesus does not become unclean. The man becomes clean. Notice the sequence there. The Lord is doing several significant things here in this passage. Firstly, he's touching a leper before he is cleansed. And of course, by doing that, he's demonstrating that, that he himself cannot be defiled by other people's uncleanliness, by other people's unrighteousness. He's also demonstrating that he is instantly producing physical healing of a very serious disorder. He's not only healing a man, but he is pronouncing him to be cleansed. Jesus did not command the man only to be healed or to be whole, but he pronounced him to be cleansed. It would seem that our Lord has therefore done only what Old Testament priests were allowed to do. Only after they went, the leper went through that, that testing period to be sure that the man was indeed free of the disease. When Jesus makes a, a man clean, of course, he doesn't have to go through that testing period. He's clean. He's cleansed. And the man is to go and he's to go and offer a sacrifice. And we see he's to be a witness to the priests of what Jesus has done. What is Luke telling us here? And again, let me emphasize that Jesus can do what no priest can do. A priest would have instantaneously declared um, a, a, the priest would have instantaneously declared this man unclean, and the priest himself would have been declared unclean if he was to touch a, a leper. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. A priest cannot cleanse a man. It's, it's interesting, in Leviticus 13 and 14, it tells us that if a leper is, is healed of his leprosy, he must then go to the priest, and the priest examines him to see if he's been healed of this leprosy, and then the, the priest has the authority to declare him cleansed. And then he has to be baptized by the priest, and then there's this whole ritual where he's welcomed back into the community. But in Leviticus 13 and 14, guess what the priest cannot do? What the priest cannot do? The priest cannot make a leper clean. He doesn't have that ability. He doesn't have that power. The priest can declare that he's been healed, but he can't make the leper clean. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can. I think in drawing our attention to cleanliness and uncleanness, Jesus is drawing our attention to the forgiveness of sins. Only something that He can do. Only something that He has the power to do. Only something that He has the authority to do. It says at the end of verse 13, look there, and immediately the leprosy left Him. Just like that. By one word, by one touch. Instant Instant healing, complete. And now it was a new day, all of a sudden, like the sinner who comes and is, 
and he's cleansed. This, this man could re-enter society. He could continue with those old relationships and ha- now have new relationships. All those relationships that he had lost before, he could, he could go back to his family and his friends and, and continue meeting people and re-enter a, a social world, a world of his people. Now, I'm guessing when the government has completely finished sterilizing and disinfecting our streets and when this coronavirus is not as contagious and the, the curve is, is starting to be flattened, the government will allow us to re-enter society and we will be able to interact with each other again and hug each other and shake each other's hands. What a wonderful day, wouldn't that be? But before the leper was able to do this, and before he was released, Jesus said something to him. Look at verse 14. And he charged him to tell nobody. I think that must have been quite a, a tough ask. I mean, you know what it's like. You prepare your dinner the whole day, and it comes out fantastic. And all you want to do is, is take a photograph and, and share it on Facebook for the world to see your great dinner that you've prepared. And this is tough. Tell nobody. Tell nobody. Well, there's a reason. Look at verse 14. He tells this man, Go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. To who? To the priests. Another translation for for proof in another version says for a testimony, for a testimony to the priests. So the main reason that this leper had to show himself to the priest seems to be for a witness to the priests. Notice the plural there in that verse. The plural is them. It's not a singular, it's a plural. He was to go to the priest, which is singular, as a witness to them, which is the the plural. Now, I doubt that there was a long line of people waiting for a priest to pronounce them cleansed of a leper. In fact, uh, to be cleansed of leprosy. In fact, I would almost imagine that the the priest may have excused himself and consulted with, with other priests and then finally consulted the law itself to learn how he should handle this cleansed leper. But how unusual this cleansing would have been. He was cleansed. He was, he was cured. What a great testimony it would have been to the, the priest. I'm sure they must have been scratching their heads at this time. How is this possible? And how quickly word would have spread among the priests. I think this was another way that Jesus was announcing to the priests, to the religious leaders, that He indeed was the Messiah, that the Messiah indeed had finally come, that He had arrived. Look at verse 15. It tells us that eventually word did get out. And of course, thanks to the the leper and perhaps to others who might have witnessed this healing. But, you know, being a leper was the worst imaginable condition, most horrible, disfiguring, ugly thing that could have happened to anybody. You know, it isolated you socially, economically. It it ruined you. You weren't able to be part of your family. You weren't able to hold a job. There were no friends. You couldn't go to worship at um, the public temple. There was really no hope as a leper. I think this is really a a good illustration of what sin is, isn't it? 
Now, the leper had the worst human condition. And spiritually, we have the worst spiritual disease when it comes to sin. We have the worst spiritual condition. And as I was studying this passage, I couldn't stop myself from thinking about the, the, the similarities between the story of disease, sin, isolation, cleansing, healing, and the coronavirus. Now, we may not see many people today in our cities with leprosy, but what we do see and what we, we keep hearing about and what is so in our faces at the moment is this coronavirus, this COVID-19 pandemic. And people speculate that the coronavirus comes from, from bats, but the, the truth is leprosy and coronavirus come from the exact same place. I'm not talking about China. I'm talking about the Garden of Eden. Now, please hear me carefully. Now, I think this application will be very helpful for us, especially because there are so many questions around this pandemic. Now, Vincent was telling me the other day about a conversation that he had had with his boss and how the conversation turned to the coronavirus and, and God and, and why it was here and what the purpose was. And he had to give an answer. He had to give an answer. I'm sure you've been in similar conversations with family at this time, with friends and, and with neighbors. But we as Christians need to give a biblical answer to our unbelieving friends and family who are asking the same questions. So hear this application. Hear what the Bible has to say about the coronavirus and about leprosy and about sin. We see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, the Bible says, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now, right in the beginning of creation, there were no rogue parasites or, or harmful germs. Genesis 1.31 tells us that everything was very good. And I believe that bacteria and, and viruses were part of God's perfect design in the Garden of Eden. We know from microbiology that bacteria play an integral role in sustaining life on the planet and that viruses contribute to the functionality of these uh, bacterial agents. So bacteria and, and viruses in and of themselves are not evil. Let me say that again. Bacteria and viruses in and of themselves are not evil. These bacteria and viruses were part of God's good design for an intricately ordered creation. The problem started when sin entered into the world. Everything changed. Everything changed when, when sin entered the world. And the scripture tells us death through sin. And creation itself was, was subject to futility. We see that in Romans 5 and, and Romans chapter 8. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they, they brought this curse of sin upon themselves and on everything on this earth and corruption on all of God's perfect creation. Now the earth would now bring forth 
thorns and noxious plants and the earth would degenerate from its fertility. And all these poisonous plants and venomous animals and sickness and even death are corruption of God's perfect design. And it's all because of sin. It all originates from sin. The effects of the fall are are far-reaching and very numerous. And sin has affected every aspect of our being. Now, before this fall, bacteria and viruses were perfect by God's design. But after the fall, these same viruses were affected and they were corrupted and, and eventually became fatal viruses that would, that would lead to death. And leprosy and this coronavirus are because of the effects of the fall. God created us perfectly. He created the world perfectly. We were never created to die. We were created to live with God forever and ever in the Garden of Eden. Perfect fellowship. Perfectly enjoying Him. Perfectly enjoying all of creation. Because of the fall, now we are subject to to old age. We're subject to degeneration. We're subject to to death, which has become a reality. And all creation groans. And all creation groans. All men die. All animals die. All plants die. The whole of creation groans. And it groans because it's waiting for the time when Christ will return and will liberate it from the effects of death. Because of sin, death is inescapable. And nobody is immune to this. Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now what is worse is that we not only die now, but if we die without Christ, we experience a second death, eternal death. At the heart of this passage is the is really the core of Jesus' ministry. And that is the forgiveness of sins. And that is what is required if we are to be reconciled back to God so that we don't have to experience this second death. Our text this morning raises for us this, this, this very important question. Who can fix what has been messed up by our sin? Luke wants us to think long and hard about that question. Because that question won't matter to us as much as it, as it should if we don't realize our desperate need, like the leper did. If we don't realize what, what Jesus has to offer, like the, like the leper did. And I wonder, do you see your need? Christian, do you see how desperately the lost world around us Uh, how the lost world around us needs Jesus. Do you see that? Do you understand, like the leper did, how much we need Jesus to fix up this terrible situation we find ourselves in because of sin, because of our sin? Let's take responsibility for this. This is not just Adam and Eve's fault. We choose to sin, folks. We have to take responsibility for this. 
Our fundamental need in this world is forgiveness of sins. Without that blessing, no other blessing of God can be enjoyed. If you're like me and you're watching the news, you probably hear the, the news of the amount of infections this coronavirus has, has affected, and you look at the, the stats and the, the numbers going up each day and how many people have, have died. But you also see that, thankfully, how many people have recovered each day. And the truth is, our physical body can be healed. And still, those people can spend eternity separated from the love of the living God under His burning, searching judgment if they don't repent of their sins. There's no need more important than the forgiveness of our sins. And no other blessing can be enjoyed without it. The Savior comes to save sinners. Our greatest threat is not the coronavirus. The greatest problem in this world is sin. And because it separates people from God for eternity. Salvation is so vividly illustrated here in our passage today. Now, leprosy is a terrible disease. The coronavirus is a, is a horrible disease, and it's all because of sin, which ultimately leads to death. And there's only one person who can save us from this sin, and that is Jesus. Now, be like the leper this morning. He knew his condition. He knew there was only one person who could change his situation. He came desperately. He came reverently. He came urgently. He came humbly. He came trusting. And the sincere heart was met by the compassionate Lord and grace and power exploded upon that man's life so that he was recreated. And then he was called to a life of obedience. And he was called to be a witness of the power and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a wonderful picture. You know, if you have come to that point in your life where you're like this man, in the spiritual sense, you've reached the level of dis desperation where you will fall on your face reverently before the, the, only, the only one who can heal our souls, and you urgently and humbly ask Him to cleanse you, the Bible says He will. The Bible says He will. With one word, with one touch, He will recreate you. That's it. Jesus could heal physical diseases, but only really as evidence to prove that He was the Messiah, that He can heal us of, of so much worse. He can heal us of this disease of sin. He will cleanse you if you will come to Him like the leper did this morning. Let me finish with an application here for, and a challenge for Christians. And let's praise God today that, that Jesus has, has overcome sin and death. And I pray that you would find your, your joy and your hope this week in the truth that in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for reminding us today from your word that you have come to save us from our worst possible.
impossible condition. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one and only Son of God who came to set the captives free, that you are the Messiah who came to heal us, not just physically, but spiritually, by dying on that cross, by taking our sins, by being our substitutionary atonement. Lord, we are so grateful for the cross of Christ today. We are so thankful for the gospel, Lord. And we do, we pray that you would help us to remember how wonderful that gospel is that has saved a wretch like us, like me. That we would live in obedience, honoring you for giving us this grace, giving us what we don't deserve. Lord, I do pray for those who've been listening today who may not be at that point where they have humbled themselves and called out to you for the forgiveness of their sins. I pray, Lord, that you would grant them repentance today, that they would see themselves as this leper, that they would see themselves hopeless and desperate, and that all that they need is Christ, and that they would trust you and call upon the name of Jesus today, not upon anything else, but they would trust you and you alone. So I pray, Lord, today, please do the work that needs to be done amongst us for your glory and for the joy of your people. Take your word, and may your spirit apply to us this week, and that we would praise you, and that we would honor you, and that we would magnify the name above all other names. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.